0: Hey everyone, I'm Justin Sales, the host of The Wedding Scammer, a new true crime podcast from The Ringer. Just a heads up, this show is a seven part story that isn't complete until you get to the end. Thanks for jumping down the rabbit hole with me. I have a question for you. If you had to wear a wire, you know, a wire, like they put on snitches in the movies, would you know what to do? like where to put it, or how to get the best sound, or how to make sure the damn thing doesn't fall off. Basically, how do you go undercover when it's your first time? It's certainly not something I knew anything about for most of my life, but I've been learning a lot of new skills because I am hunting a con man. All right. What do we think? I probably need scissors,
1: right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Scissors. Scissors. It's January 2023 and I'm in Houston, Texas. I just flew in from Los Angeles and I'm here for one reason. To catch a crook. To wear a wire and catch a crook. Which means right now, I'm standing in a CVS figuring out how to make this work DIY style. Uh, Gentle paper tape.
2: What
0: is paper tape?
2: I don't know. Take me the paper.
0: <laughs> that other voice, that's my new buddy Leah. She's here to help me catch this crook. She's not in the FBI. She doesn't work for the police. Leah is just like me. A first-time private investigator trying to get this guy dead to rights. Tape it
1: with your little whatever tape, your athletic tape, and then tape it to your skin and just pray.
0: That other other voice. That's another new friend. Her name is Amy, and you're going to get to know Amy and Leah really well later on. But right now, I'm realizing you probably need some background. Why we're doing this, right? I'll keep it brief. Seven years ago, I met a guy who was lying about who he really was. And I'll admit it, he fooled me. Actually, he conned me. Me and about a hundred other people in one shot. It makes you wonder. Am I just gullible? Were we the only ones he did this to? But most importantly, who is this guy really and how the hell can I find him? It turns out Amy and Leah know how, because right now he lives where they live, right here in Houston. Okay. This is the closest I've been to finding him in seven years. Are you sensitive? I don't think so. you have hair on your chest? I do, but I have to shave. Oh, uh, you're going to shave it off? I have to shave. I'm wearing a wire. Oh,
2: um, the hair will, like... <laughs> they,
0: <laughs> it won't work with the hair. I'm going to I have to shave it. Look, if you're going to wear a wire, you got to shave your chest, right? So this guy, this con man, when I started digging, I found out that he's been jumping from city to city for a while now taking on fake names, starting bogus businesses, and skipping town when the pressure hits. He's been sued for ruining weddings, he's been investigated by the police, and he's served time for deceiving people and stealing their money. But mostly, he's left a long trail of people who want him to pay them back. And some of them have turned into amateur detectives trying to track him down and figure out who he is. That includes not just me, but also Amy and Leah. When they got tricked, they started digging too. That's how they found me. And that's why we're in the CVS together, trying to figure out how to do espionage. Or what if you just did like a like,
2: oh, like a band-aid, band-aid, like athletic tape? Did you
0: like Kinesio tape?
2: Yeah.
0: Let's see where that is. Let's take a walk over there. Hey look, I warned you, this was our first time doing this. So don't
1: like, know how true crime accurate. stories,
0: killers. We're at the checkout and we've got a bunch of different kinds of tape. Masking tape kinesio tape, some bandages, plus a five-blade razor for my chest. And this, dear listener, turns out is all you need to take a regular clip-on lapel mic and turn it into a wire.
3: If you are finished scanning, please touch finish and pay.
0: At least I hope. Because tomorrow, we are paying this guy a surprise visit on his turf. And we will be recording it. But that's for later, because if you've heard one of these shows before, you know that we got to start at the beginning. We got to look at how I stumbled into this bizarre journey and how this guy bounced around the country, changing his identity and writing checks he couldn't cash, both literally and figuratively. We got to talk to the people who say he ripped them off. The ones who say he crushed their dreams or ruined their weddings. The ones who dedicated their lives to tracking him. We also got to find out who he really is and who he isn't. But most importantly, we got to make a podcast. From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, I'm Justin Sales, and this is The Wedding Scammer. Chapter one, The Glass Castle. Chances are, if you're listening to this, you've heard a few other true crime podcasts over the years. Maybe you know some of the usual rhythms. First, you have the cold open, an opening scene that hooks you. That's what I tried to do in that CVS with The Wire. Next, you have the theme song and the show title, two for two so far. So now we're at the top of act one, which means it's time for the host slash journalist, that's me, to tell you how they came upon the story. Usually an email from a stranger or a tip from a colleague. Hell, an old Reddit thread. But that's not how it happened for me. Nobody tipped me off. Nobody needed to. Because I walked right into this one. My scammer story starts way before people say this guy ruined their weddings and long before I put on a wire in Houston. It starts back in 2016 with a dream. And it starts like a lot of ill advised dreams do with a move to Los Angeles. So I'm from the East Coast, Rhode Island to be exact. I know, you probably hear the accent. But like so many New Englanders before me, I wanted to escape the cold for sunshine and traffic, for a fresh start after spending most of my life in one place. So I do something kinda dumb. I pack my bags and I take whatever money I have saved and I drive across the country with my friend Leah and her dog Brutus. My plan is to reinvent myself, but the plan is not heavy on specifics. I have no job prospects. I have just a couple bucks and a couple old friends. I do have a place to live, but there's a catch. It's my friend's garage. The first night, we have to sweep it for Black Widows. A great start. I'm still living in that garage on February 24th, 2016, when two fateful things happen. The first is, I apply to work at The Ringer, which is just starting up. Like, the website doesn't even exist yet. And maybe it sounds silly, but a place like The Ringer is a dream job for me. The exact type of thing I came to L.A. for. Seriously, I would take any job there. Just get me in the door. So I stay up all night writing a cover letter, and I hit send on my resume, and I wait. Then just a few hours later, my phone rings. And my thirsty ass thinks it's someone from The Ringer calling me, telling me to come in and start right away. But that's not who's calling Instead, it's a staffing agency, looking to fill a job. And this is the other big thing that happens to me that day. The person from the agency tells me she found me on LinkedIn. She's calling about a different media startup in town. Not The Ringer, but another new company. This one with a rich, motivated owner who wants to staff up quickly. He's launching a website that is, quote, like the Huffington Post, but better. I guess his plan is not heavy on specifics either. This is not my dream job, but it is a job, and maybe a good one. The work sounds interesting and the lady on the phone is talking about a lot of perks. The company is also located in something called the Gas Company Tower in downtown LA. A fancy job in a fancy building. There's only one thing that gives me pause though. Admittedly, it's a big one. It's the name of this company, which is actually I'm gonna need a drum roll for this one. Newsarati. That's the name of this place. You heard me. Newsarati. It's news as in, well, news, then arati like Illuminati, Literati, Maserati? Look, I know naming things is hard, but even now, years later, when I tell people this story, They giggle or look at me like I'm nuts when I say the name New But you know what? Fuck it. Garage guys can't be choosers. So I agree to an interview for an editing position. And the next day, I take the train to the gas company tower, which is enormous. 52 stories. New is up on the 35th floor in a WeWork. When I get up there, I notice how clean and bright everything is. The brand new shuffleboard table. The shiny kombucha taps. And the glass. Windows everywhere with views of LA stretching for miles. Just being up there, I feel like I've kind of made it. But I've still got a job interview to do. And it's with this guy. My name's Matt Gerlach. Matt Gerlach. A six foot five teddy bear in a cabbie hat with a beard and a Bernie 2016 sticker on his laptop. You can't help but like him right away. And I'm
4: glad because Matt's the guy who's going to be deciding my future. I remember your resume was like, you went to school for journalism, and then you worked for a paper in, like, Rhode Island. You were confident, and you seemed like a guy that could manage people, somebody that I could rely on. Quickest I've ever landed a job in my life. But I'm still wrapping
0: my head around this when the door bursts open. And in walks a person you're going to get to know very well this season. Our main character. What I remember seeing first is baby blue, a whole lot of it, a sweater of it. And inside that sweater is an Italian looking man, gold chained to match. About five foot seven and stout, sunken eyes and a bulldog frown. Immediately, the energy shifts. The man introduces himself as Michael Esposito the founder and CEO of Nusirati, my new boss. And let me set this scene. Michael is accompanied by his boyfriend Barrett and their teacup Yorkie named Kingston. And pretty much immediately, Michael starts, well, trying to impress me. He owns some big-time restaurants in New York. Also, he's got a rich dad and a mega-rich family. They made their money in coal back in Pennsylvania where Michael grew up. In fact, they're so rich that Michael has an enormous trust fund, which he's using to start his dream company, this company, Nuzerati. But the vibe is, how do I put this? Succession fails, son. Michael's like Kendall Roy without the polish. He's loud and cocky, like dad didn't spring for etiquette lessons. And he also doesn't seem very interested in me, his newest employee. Michael speaks fast. You can't get a word in. It's overwhelming. Honestly, I don't know
4: too many mega-rich people. Maybe they all act this self-involved. For Matt Gerlach, it's just part of the package. He wants everybody's eyes on him when he walks into a room. That plays into the whole eccentric air. Like, oh, you're a spoiled brat child. Someone must have spoiled you, really spoiled you so much. So you must have money. Michael Esposito. A rich guy trying
0: to impress us, telling us how important he is, and selling us on a grand vision. Certainly no scam has ever started that way, right? Matt Gerlach's first meeting with Michael Esposito wasn't all that different from mine. It was back in January 2016. Matt had been working odd jobs, but now he was looking for something that would stick. When he learned about Nuzerati, it sounded like this could be the one.
4: And like me, Matt was hired quickly, pretty much the minute he met Michael. And he's like, I'm from New York, and I have my, you know, my dad died, and I got all of his money, and I, I have this passion project, and I need somebody that's capable of running things. And I was like, I can do that. But Matt also experienced the
0: same human tornado that I did the cockiness, the fast-talking, the erratic
4: guy who was unlike anyone Matt had ever met. I'm thinking in my head while he's talking, there's something wrong here. And then I was like, no, there's just something wrong with him. He's just an eccentric billionaire because that's what he's telling me right now. But there's some good stuff, too. Michael offers Matt a decent salary. Plus, he sells Matt on what
0: Newsarati could be, an unbiased, independent news outlet, a voice for the voiceless, It's a rose-colored vision, almost too good to be true. But to Matt, it's appealing. So Matt ignores whatever misgivings he has. He takes the job. He's the new general manager of Newsarati. And when Matt eventually settles into
4: the gas company tower, he does what any of us would do. He posts about it. Oh, I took a picture and put it on Facebook and my mom was like, I'm a proud mom. Like, you're doing a fucking great job. You have a great job now, finally. The first order of business in this great new job? Staffing up the place. Quickly. Because Michael
0: wants to launch Nuzerati soon. So Matt turns to Craigslist and job boards and eventually staffing agencies like the one that found me. And before long, dozens of fresh faces are showing up at the WeWork. All right, buckle up. This is the part where I introduce you to a lot of voices in rapid succession. Voices like Hugo Guzman, a 22-year-old in desperate need of a paycheck. He almost took a job at a camera shop before the staffing agency found something that sounded more promising.
3: She let me know they had a creative writing opening at a new startup website called Muserati. In Canal Nestel, about
0: the same
5: age and fresh in town from Jersey.
3: I was working at Universal Studios.
5: They had just opened up Hogsmeade. Hogsmeade as in Harry Potter world. I was training to, you know, push uh, butterbeer carts and serve butterbeer and just looking for jobs. On
0: the other end of the spectrum, you have Christina Heinlein. She's about my age, in her early 30s back then. Matt wants Christina to cover science and nerd culture.
2: Matt was like, I got the job for you. I bet you would go to Comic-Con this year.
0: Like Matt, Like so many of us, she's taken with the view in the gas company tower.
2: It was this glass castle in the clouds. And you you rode up and you looked out, you could see out from every angle, every room was made of glass. You gotta believe your eyes. My eyes said, man, this is gorgeous. Let's let's give this a try.
0: And then there's Chris Conroy. He's in his forties then. And he's worked as a screenwriter and a copywriter, but never a journalist but there's something on his resume that gets Chris noticed. I'd written product copy for Adidas. So a light bulb goes off for Matt. And he said, oh, you should be our sports editor. And on and on and on. Not a lot of newsroom experience in this group. And maybe that should have been a warning sign. But it's easy to get caught up in the whirlwind. The idea of getting in on the ground floor of something that could be big. All told, Newerati hires about 40 editors and writers to work out of that downtown LA office. That happens in about two weeks. Most of the writers get between 20 or 30 bucks an hour, not bad for young kids looking to jumpstart their careers. But my salary conversation goes differently. Back in my interview up on the 35th floor, Michael asks me how much I want. When I tell him, he rejects it, and then he offers me 20 grand more than what I asked for. He's negotiating in the wrong direction. But his reasoning is simple. He's expecting a lot of me. And I'll be honest, I'm not totally sure what to make of it. This is an enormous red flag. But as he talks a mile a minute, I zone out for a second and I look out the windows behind him. And I feel like Christina did, like I'm in a glass castle. And I say to myself, just take the money, idiot. See where it goes. Best case scenario, financial stability. Worst case, you get a great story out of it. And well, dear listener, they don't make podcasts about financial stability. A day after meeting Michael Esposito and only two days after hearing about Newsarati, I sign a contract and start immediately. At first, everything seems normal. There are Slack channels, remote employees, daily Skype meetings, no company phones or computers, but hey, this is a startup. And there are a lot of young people working here. They work out of a bullpen, writing about sports, politics, movies, music, what you'd expect out of the next Huffington Post, but better. And some of these kids are happy to soak up Michael's sunshine.
6: At first, yeah, of course. I mean, I'm thinking this is somebody I can learn a lot from, somebody who's had success in so many different industries, somebody who knows business very well, that's David Greenwood. He was in his early 20s back then, when Michael
0: hired him to run the fashion and music verticals. It was around the same time that he hired Matt Gerlock. In the early days, David kind of respected Michael.
6: I was young and obviously hungry to be successful in what I was doing. So I thought, yeah, I'll stick around and listen to everything he has to say because at some point it'll be important. It also helps that Michael's pretty
0: entertaining. He likes to burst into rooms and stand on desks and shout about Lady Gaga's genius or his personal friends Mariah Carey and Martha Stewart.
5: Even though it was so eccentric, he was firing people up. That's Canal Neschel, the former butterbeer dealer. The guy had energy, man. He had this unparalleled charisma that he exuded. But while it's fun, little things seem off.
0: For example, Michael's clothes specifically the fact that they never seem to change. That baby blue cashmere sweater is practically his uniform. I can't recall a day when he didn't wear it. Then I start to notice the stains on his pants. Next day, same pants, same stains. Christina Heinlein notices this too.
2: The second time I saw him, he was wearing the same clothing said, oh, my laundry's out, and I haven't been able to have anything, so I'm actually wearing the same pants I was day before. And I thought, oh, interesting.
0: I know rich people in LA dress casually, but not this casually. For Hugo Guzman, the red flags start with a visit to the gym. A job at Nuzerati comes with perks, and the shiniest of those perks is a gym membership at Equinox, the most expensive way to exercise. We're talking a few hundred bucks a month just to get on the treadmill. So shortly after being hired,
3: Hugo swings by Equinox. And they they tell me, like, can we interest you in a membership? And I tell him, oh, I already have one because it is through this company. And they look it up. And they're like, well, we don't have any of that, but it's probably just the paperwork. We can we can show you through. And I go through the whole tour, and it, it looks great. Hugo leaves to get lunch, and then comes a call from Equinox. And they tell me like, hey, so we checked our paperwork. We don't have any kind of relationship with a company called NewsRati. We've never heard of them. We've never heard of Michael Esposito. We we don't know who you're talking about. Hugo goes back to the office kind of dumbfounded. But before he can make any sense of what
0: just happened, Michael finds
3: him. He's like, so I heard you went to the Equinox and you asked about a membership. And I was like, just like nervous laugh. I'm like, yeah, I did that. He was like, oh, well, don't do that again. He walked away. But with all these
0: strange things piling up, we still had a job to do. Michael is pushing to launch his website at warp speed. My first full week begins on Monday, February 29th. Michael wants Newsarati.com up and running that Wednesday, two days later, and he's got us pulling 12-hour shifts to do it, trying to build up the Newsarati archive.
3: Hugo still can't understand it. I just thought logistically, there's no way to build, like, three or four months' work of content, which I, I think that's what he wanted, in the space of two or three days. It was, it was insane. It's not exactly high-quality
0: journalism, but it is a lot of content. When Wednesday afternoon comes, the website does indeed go live, with stories about Super Tuesday and Phil Jackson and the Knicks and Merrick Garland. It's not quite the Huffington Post but better, but it is real. I could send it to my mom like, hey, look, I'm actually doing something in L.A. Something that's also very real? Michael's plans for a launch party right there on the 35th floor. Yes, we're going to introduce Nuzirati to the world, or at least the WeWork. This launch party, well, let me tell you about it. Christina hears a rumor that the party would cost $1,000,000, which it definitely does not. There's a flyer that promises top-notch catering and a full spread of, quote, international cuisine. But when the food arrives, it's Michael's boyfriend, Barrett, carrying in a veggie tray from Ralph's. Michael has one employee invite influencers and YouTube personalities as guests of honor. But guess what? No one bites. And then shortly before the party begins, the electricity in the building starts going haywire.
6: I remember as everybody's freaking out about the catering not showing up, everything is dark. David Greenwood, the fashion and music editor again. And there are all these issues and it just made everything even more chaotic. It's like when a thunder and lightning storm is happening in a movie. But when the party begins, it's decidedly unmovie like There are no pyrotechnics, not
0: even a PowerPoint presentation. It's just 60 or so people, most of us from Nusirati, the rest from the other businesses in the WeWork. We're standing in a massive semicircle, waiting to hear what Michael Esposito has to say. And, well, there's no other way to put this. Michael bombs at this launch party. He's nothing like the man I've witnessed for the past week or so. He's soft-spoken. He's meek. He's drowning out there. And maybe he realizes this because he quickly pivots from his typical Lady Gaga stories to some new ones. These are about his upbringing, his overbearing dad, a childhood gone wrong, about how awful it is to be Michael Esposito. And they are tough to hear, because to be clear, these aren't motivational stories about overcoming adversity. They are complaints.
6: Again, talking about how maybe he was a little meek and maybe feeling a little vulnerable, like some things were starting to show, he would often in my experience, share those stories when things were starting to go off the rails. It felt like a therapy session in front of 60 strangers or like a distraction from this disaster of
0: a launch party, not the stuff empires are built on. It remains one of the most bizarre things I've ever witnessed. On some level, you feel bad for him, but on another level, it's just plain confusing. People start to shuffle out, but Matt Gerlach doesn't. He can barely move. I look over, and I see the same gentle giant who hired me all of a week earlier, except his big smile
4: has been replaced by a thousand-yard stare, and it's aimed right at Michael. And what does he do? He has a nervous fucking breakdown mid-speech. If you can't tell, Matt's still upset about it. It felt even worse in the moment. I want to run. I want to run away. I don't want to be here. I don't want to fucking deal with the aftermath of this. The next time I arrive at this building, if I see any of these people that I don't already know, I'm going to blush because I'm going to be embarrassed because I work for that guy. But as this launch
0: party combusts, something else is on Matt's mind. Something that's making him question whether he does, in fact, work for that guy. Because Matt has yet to be paid by Michael Esposito. And now he's watching this meltdown,
4: wondering if he ever will. There's something... Don't know what it is, but I think maybe, maybe this is a con.
0: Around the time of the launch party fiasco, Matt Gerlock has another oh shit moment. It comes after a meeting with a payroll company, an outside contractor that's supposed to handle our checks. By this point... Matt's worked at Nuzerati for about six weeks. Michael's missed every pay period so far. So this meeting between Michael and the payroll company, it's a big one. Matt sits in on it, and it
4: goes mostly as expected. Immediately after the meeting, he, like, walks out all happy and leaves the building. But the reps from the payroll company, they weren't smiling. And then they came up to me, and they were like, but we need his bank information so that we can pay everybody. And I was like, oh, shit. (sighs) That was the first point where I was like, there's something irrefutably wrong here. Matt is getting frustrated.
0: Michael has had a lot of excuses for not paying him up to this point. Sometimes it's an issue with the bank or something's up with the electronic payment or the money is going to come the next day. Then when the next day comes and the money doesn't, he swears it's coming soon. Delay, delay, delay. David Greenwood, the fashion and music editor, he's in the same boat. Six weeks in, six weeks without getting paid. Early on, when the issues first started, David felt like he could have a conversation with Michael about it.
6: I always felt better, thinking, okay, well, he knows and he cares and he's going to try to make it work and the paycheck, I guess, is going to go through at midnight tonight. So, you know, what do I have to complain about now?
0: But this dance is becoming a recurring theme for the employees who have been around for a while. And they're fed up. So a few of them begin recording Michael, which is something I've discovered over the past few years that a lot of people like to do when dealing with this guy. In fact, I even recorded him back in 2016. Because when something sketchy is going on, you want to be able to listen back and make sure your memory is not deceiving you. You want to collect evidence just in case. I'd play you my recording, except I lost it three or four iPhones ago. So I'm going to play you a little bit of another employee's phone conversation with Michael. And I want to do it for a few reasons. First, I want you to hear Michael's voice. Second, it shows a little bit of his style, how he kept stringing people along weeks into not paying them. This clip is from March 2016, right as the situation was growing increasingly
6: strange.
5: Okay, so yeah, everyone is being paid, okay? I can't commit to a specific hour today, but I... I can commit to that. I was on the phone with the vice president, our representative, <clears> had <throat> one of the workforce workforce one or whatever it's called, members of ADP getting things handled. It's our first pay run with them.
0: Michael is talking about having issues with the payroll company, the same one that Matt Gerlock said that Michael didn't give his bank info to. So unless that's changed, something really curious is going on here.
5: That's the situation that that I'm dealing with. And I will update you more probably within the next two to three hours, okay?
0: Michael promises to update this employee when he gets some clarity. The employee would later tell me that update never came. But before the conversation ends, Michael mentions something else. Some other Nuzerati employees who have been digging around on him.
5: I spent an hour and a half on the telephone this morning with the police department. Having those people investigated, if you decide to interact with other people, please be very careful with who you interact with or the measures that you would decide to
0: take. Listening to this recording now, it sounds like a warning. Be careful with who you interact with or the measures that you would decide to take, because there may be consequences. It would seem that Michael is beginning to worry that people are talking, and he's right. People are beginning to talk about the launch party, about Hugo's Equinox story, and especially about the website, the very thing we are here to make. Because the morning after the launch party, just one day after the website goes live, the webmaster pulls it down. Turns out he hasn't been paid yet either. It's becoming an increasingly chaotic situation. And most people stop working because everyone is focused on one thing. What the hell is actually happening here? Michael certainly isn't helping to answer that question He's still his old explosive self But now, instead of that unparalleled charisma He's gotten kinda nasty He calls one of the editors into his office And berates her so loudly We can hear him through the WeWork glass I watch him scream at a writer For getting coffee at 9.05am Five minutes after the workday starts Toward the end of the week He schedules an all-hands meeting Chris Conroy, the sports editor, he remembers Michael stalking around the room like Jaws. I thought the
5: kids looked like they were getting scolded by the teacher. This is somebody who is playing CEO Fantasy Camp, and we're all just the campers. Because he doesn't know what he's doing. He saw a movie where the CEO of a news organization berates his staff, and he thinks that's what you're supposed to do.
0: One other thing about this meeting, Michael tries taking everyone's phones. Remember, there are personal phones. And even though he eventually relents, he warns everyone not to use them during the meeting. Christina Heinlein suspects Michael was worried about the phones for a very specific reason.
2: So I was planning to take his picture and the nose phones thing was just the nail in the coffin. like, why wouldn't you want me to have my phone and take your picture unless you're hiding something? Because how are we going to even have proof? He could disappear tomorrow.
0: You may wonder why people would keep showing up when stuff like this is happening. The whole thing is crazy making. But the truth is, it's also fascinating on some level. Sure, no one likes being treated like a school kid, but there's also a certain mystery. Questions start to nag at you, like, is Michael Esposito hiding something? Does he really have a rich dad who made his money in coal? is Nuzirati even real? This moment, the meltdown the day after the launch party, that's when the situation goes from, hey, some strange things are happening here to, I think we're living through a scam.
3: And that's when the investigation truly begins. Here's Hugo remembering it. And it came together that like, okay, this was the project now. Like what we're doing now is the project. Like, Project is, we're going to investigate Michael Esposito and take him down. And our project starts with Google,
0: which I know you're thinking, maybe someone should have done that earlier. Full disclosure, I actually did, before I was hired. Couldn't find much. Didn't think much of it. And the reality is, you aren't going to start frantically Googling every detail unless you think you're living through a con, which now we do. So Michael Esposito, New York restaurants. Esposito, Cole, Family, Pennsylvania. Michael, Barrett, Teacup, Yorkie. And nothing. We even try to reverse image search Michael slack picture. But this guy's a ghost. But the word newserati, that turns up something. When I finally searched the word on Twitter, a bunch of dead links to articles pop up from December and January, just weeks before I was hired. They were about the presidential primaries, Lady Gaga, naturally, whatever the news of the day was. But now they've all been taken down. Still, something called Nuzerati once existed, not long before Michael hired us. But there's something more concerning, I find. There are also a handful of tweets from people warning others about Nuzerati. They use words like scam and hashtags like Newsarati doesn't pay writers. As soon as I find this, I reach out to one of these people. And she confirms pretty quickly this is the same Newsarati run by the same eccentric CEO. Her name is Nancy Lee Jobs. I reconnected with Nancy earlier this year to talk about the original Newsarati.
1: I came across an ad. I think I sent in a few samples and I was told that I could have a writer position at this new news site that was supposedly a startup that had a million dollars worth of funding.
0: Nancy's talking about the first time she came across Nuzerati. It was late 2015. She's one of dozens of other freelancers Michael hired to work remotely at Nuzerati before the WeWork in the Gas Company Tower. Those freelancers came from all over. Massachusetts, the Bay Area, even Greece and Croatia. Some were supposed to be paid by the article. But as an editor... Nancy was offered a good salary, about $10,000 a month. As a freelancer with a daughter in college, this kind of financial stability was a dream.
1: Somebody needed to be able to, to keep everything afloat, and this sounded perfect. And uh, you know how, what they say if it sounds too good to be true.
0: Too good to be true, of course. Because soon after she took the job, she started to get suspicious. There's a Skype call where Michael said he's in Pennsylvania for his dad's funeral. But by Nancy's estimation, he still appeared to be in his office in Los Angeles. Then when she searched for Michael's dad's obituary, she found nothing. And this is how Nancy started her own investigation.
1: In New York and in New Jersey, Mike Esposito was an enormously common name. And so I did go down some rabbit holes looking for him. I was all over social media trying different names. I was doing uh, reverse image searches on pictures that I had of him in case his picture showed up in other places.
0: Nancy had good reason to be going down rabbit holes, too. Because despite all of Michael's big promises, he wasn't paying anyone. Though he was offering excuses. Problems with his bank account, he said. Or the money was tied up in other things.
1: He kept saying, oh, but... We have investments and, and I have had my people go over and we're going to release the funds. And every day it was like a couple more days, a couple more days. And that's how he kept us. He kept saying a couple more days.
0: Again, delay, delay, delay. It went like that until February. That's when Michael shut down Newsarati 1.0 without ever paying anyone to Nancy's knowledge. To my knowledge, too, I've spoken to other writers and editors. I've read emails. And to a person, everyone says Michael Esposito never paid them. In the aftermath, Nancy became something of a victim's advocate. She went to the cops, the FBI Internet Crime Division, even a debt collector. She said some people listened, but no one could help. So Nancy did the next best thing. She set up a Facebook group. It's called People Screwed by Newserati. It quickly became a space for people to not only commiserate, but also drop leads about this strange guy and his strange company.
1: I think that we're being taken for a ride, but here's the thing, I couldn't understand why.
0: It's not like Michael had asked Nancy or anyone else for money. Just work. Lots and lots of unpaid work. What
1: was the end game? OK, I, I, I talked it out with several of the other editors and I said, but if we're being scammed, what is the endgame? What is the purpose?
0: I'd like to step back for a second and describe what Finding Nancy changes for me and my co-workers back in Los Angeles. To this point, our suspicions about Michael Esposito had been steadily building. Still, there was a shred of hope that this was all going to work out. This Nancy discovery shatters that illusion. It's a collective oh shit moment. The point when we realize that this is one of those strange stories you hear about. With a sketchy character and some kind of scheme. Except it's not just a story. It's our lives. But if this is a con, well, what exactly is the con? How is he getting rich off this? Does he want our social security numbers? Is he looking for investors for a fake company? There were a couple ads on the website, but that doesn't seem too lucrative, right? Maybe we have it all wrong. Maybe he's just a bad businessman. Maybe Michael Esposito is just in over his head. Whatever is actually happening, Matt Gerlach is done waiting to find out. He's had enough. He hasn't been paid for almost two months of work. He's heard about Nancy and the other freelancers. And he's really had enough of Michael Esposito. So at the end of this week, a few days after the launch party, Matt decides to tell the staff about what he's going through. He marches down the hall, bursts into the bullpen,
4: and stands at the front of the room. And he begins a speech that changed everything for the staff. I think my first words were like, hey, everybody, let me get your attention. And then I was like, this sucks. But nobody has been paid. This is some kind of weird scam. We need to go to the police. Matt Gerlach the person
0: who invested months of his life into building Nuzerati, he's finally given up. Conveniently, Michael is not around that day. So Matt organizes a crew to go to the police. But the cops are pretty confused. I mean, can you blame them? A bunch of writers saying they hadn't been paid and a guy maybe faking his identity? Sounds like a labor board issue. Here's Hugo Guzman again.
3: I remember like the, desperation isn't the right word somewhere between disappointment and desperation, people coming out of the labor board building and like the Skid Row LAPD station and like it dawning on them. They're not going to get anything out of this. That labor board complaint is not going anywhere. Realizing that like, yo, Michael Esposito got away with it. But what exactly was it? What was Michael Esposito
0: getting away with? The dream of the Huffington Post but better ends not with an arrest or even a Michael Esposito meltdown. It ends in the most anticlimactic way possible. An email. It comes from Newsarati at gmail.com on March 8th, just two weeks after this whole fever dream began for me. The email subject line? Notice of change in employment status. Here's a little bit. Dear employees, it begins. We regret to inform you that Newsarati will be terminating all operations and undergoing dissolution effectively immediately. Could have used a copy editor there. We have no plans to revive the company in any form and have decided to forego any further ventures. The general vision and goals were not met, therefore it is impossible to justify continued operation. Got it. Thanks, Michael. So it's our fault. The message then tells us we can pick up our checks or if we can't make it, he'll send them. Folks, this is a literal the check is in the mail moment but my favorite part of the email comes
5: at the very end. Here's me and Canal reading it together years later. Additionally, the CL website, and it was the labor website, is a helpful resource that provides information about the types of programs, benefits, and services that may be available to you as an unemployed person. Best, Nuzerati. So yeah, we were unemployed as of, as of March 8th, 2016. Were we ever employed? Yeah that's, a <laughs> yeah, that's
0: the question. Were we ever employed? The short answer is no. We were never employed. Those paychecks never come. And when we show up at the WeWork to collect our belongings, our key cards don't work. They tell us that Michael was behind on rent. Nuzerati was essentially evicted. Meanwhile, the Secretary of State has no record of a company named Nuzerati ever existing. Neither does the California Labor Commissioner's office. The staffing agency? The one that found me? They email me about a month later to say that they filed a police report about all this and that I was included on a list of victims. But when I ask the police for a copy of the report, they give me only a heavily redacted version. They tell me I'm not a primary party to this case. I gotta disagree. As for Michael, he's gone. His phone is disconnected. He won't respond to emails. No one can find a trace of him or Barrett or the Yorkie. On some level, this is fascinating. It's not every day you meet a person like Michael Esposito or get caught up in something like this. You almost get a high from the intrigue. Christina Heimlein felt that too.
2: I think it's kind of cool, to be honest. I think it's cool to be that close to a con man and actually see it happen and be con. So for me, it was kind of an adventure. And I sort of enjoyed it.
0: But if I'm being honest, despite the intrigue, I'm not doing great in the aftermath. After I became a quote-unquote unemployed person, I'm really fucking sad, man. Like, I crashed back down to earth and realized that I guess I got scammed, but I'm not even sure what the scam was. In the next few months, I take some freelance gigs and I send out a few resumes, but I wasn't sure I had a future in this city. I even applied for a few jobs back in Rhode Island. I thought, maybe this is the totality of my LA experience, a bed in a garage and a fake job that I got fired from. But relatively speaking, I am lucky in that moment because I'm mostly in my feelings. I'm still okay on rent for a little bit. Nancy Lee Jobs, she said that wasn't the case for everyone.
1: You know, he put me in a hole for a while because I I went, you know, a month or six weeks without pay. And at the time, like I said, my daughter was in college. I didn't have a whole lot of other savings. I didn't have much money. (laughs) But there were other people, there were other writers who were really, really put in a bad position by this guy. And there were people he owed an enormous, an enormous amount of money. So
0: what does an enormous amount mean collectively? Based on my salary? I was out about $3,500. That's not crime of the century money, but these dollar amounts add up quickly. There were many people besides me. I have email addresses for 33 people from the WeWork, plus another 89 from the Nancy Freelancer group. That's 120 people minimum. If Michael Esposito owes everyone even half of what he owes me, we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars. I reached out to ADP, the payroll company that Michael said he was working with, to see whether they'd had any dealings with Nusirati, and more importantly, whether they had ever paid anyone. But I never heard back from them. Though I've reviewed email threads and spoken to dozens of people caught up in this, they all tell me, to a person, no one has ever been paid. That includes Matt Gerlock, and it put him in a really bad position. When the checks never came, he found himself having to put off paying bills and asking his landlord for grace.
4: I started borrowing money from people personally because, like, I had no other means of getting money. I didn't have any fucking record of getting paid, so I couldn't go to a payday loan place. Like, I didn't have a fucking credit card that I could pull out cash with or pay my rent with. Matt says he's out more than eight literally a life-changing
0: amount for him at that time but the emotional part hurts just as much. Matt believed
4: in Michael's vision of Nuzerati, a voice for the voiceless, providing unbiased news. I felt kind of honored to be invited to participate in something important like that. So to be fucking scammed out of that honor by having it, like the illusion shattered, kind of sucked. I thought I was doing something that had meaning and then I wasn't. I should have ran. I should have ran when I met this guy. Matt took it hard. He had more skin in the game than everyone
0: else. He had worked there longer, helped build the place. He was worried about his reputation. Karnal also felt that last one, especially when he told his mom back in
5: Jersey. The disappointment and embarrassment, I think my mom felt, was like the icing on the cake. And, you know, it's not that I don't think she felt for me in that moment or whatever, but I remember the disappointment. And I'm like, damn, this may define me. I may be defined as the person who was stupid enough to get conned. Of course, Kanal isn't stupid. He was just a kid who moved to
0: L.A. to try to chase his dreams. No different from me. I was looking to prove that I could be someone, waiting for that phone call telling me that the bet I made on myself had paid off. But everyone else at Zerati had a dream too. Matt Gerlach wanted a steady gig. Hugo wanted to be a writer. Christina Heinlein just wanted to go to Comic-Con. Everybody wanted to believe that that view from the 35th floor meant something. And yeah, that extra 20 gram Michael Esposito offered me, it made it easier to say yes. And for a split second after I did, this new situation felt like it could have been my moment. But when I realized it was all fake, I wasn't stupid either, I know that. But because I wanted to believe in a dream, it made me an easier mark. For whatever the hell this was. So as you probably guessed, I eventually did get out of that garage. And I got that call from The Ringer. I've worked here since June 2016, about four months after this all went down. That's a feel-good ending in a sense, right? But in another sense, that's not an ending at all. When something like this happens to you, you feel violated, vulnerable, maybe a little gullible. You don't really forget it. Sometimes you jump down a Google rabbit hole or you sift through your camera roll looking at old screenshots. You watch a true crime documentary and think, man, this feels familiar. And if you're lucky, you have a few Facebook groups where you can go keep tabs on the man who wronged you. There would ultimately be two Facebook groups dedicated to Newsarati. The one Nancy set up, and another one named Newsarati is a scam. And pretty quickly, both become little amateur detective hubs. At first, there's not much. A possible sighting in downtown LA. Another Michael Esposito arrested in New Jersey. A New York Times article about a sketchy Silicon Valley grifter. But that's not him either. Nothing that amounted to anything. But then, in 2018, finally, a real lead to investigate. And get this, he created this lead all on his own. It's a full page photo of Michael, Barrett, and the little dog in a magazine. And finding this one thing would send me on a years long journey, tracking this guy up and down the West Coast, through a half dozen memes, and eventually to Houston with a wire on my chest. But before we get there, we gotta stay just a little bit longer in Los Angeles where this guy's got a new hustle. Because Michael Esposito's next act doesn't involve a fake media company. It's in the wedding
6: industry. And things are about to get personal. If everything that he's done is a predetermined plan, he fucking tricked me. But
2: to me, it's like, how dare you? The guy just said, I'm part of a scam. Like, what the fuck?
3: Who gave you permission to do that to people and to step into their lives? in a moment of trust and just really purposely defraud them.
0: The Wedding Scammer was reported and written by me, Justin Sales. The executive producers are Juliet Littman, Mallory Rubin, and Sean Fennessy. Our story editor is Amanda Dobbins. The show was produced by Jade Whaley, Mike Wargon, Bobby Wagner, Vikram Patel, and me. Fact-checking by Dan Comer. Copy editing by Craig Gaines. The music in this series was composed by Justin Catoni of 13th Ward Social Club. Sound design by Bobby Wagner. Mixing and mastering by Scott Somerville. Art direction and illustration by David Shoemaker. Thanks for listening.